This episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. You're listening to the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kalatni. If you're a longtime listener, you might notice that the format of this episode is not exactly what you're used to. As we mentioned last time, our beloved producer, Caitlin Bakuki, has moved on to our next adventure. And with the help of our new producer, Nick Offenberg, we figured that it's also time for Love and Sex to move on to a new chapter of its own. But don't freak out, guys. The things that you love aren't going anywhere. That's right. Noah will continue to relentlessly make fun of me. We'll still talk openly and honestly about love and sex, and we'll be even more tuned in to what our listeners are asking us and, and want to talk about. But we will be introducing some new segments, and we're going to be addressing more topics, and we'll get a little more banter in, too. Think of it as Love and Sex 2.0. And if you don't love it or if you have other ideas, we want to hear them. So shoot us an email at loveandsexpodcast.huffingtonpost.com. So up first, we're going to chat about some of the love and sex headlines that caught our attention this week. After a 15-hour surgery, the first penis transplant ever to take place in the United States was successfully completed. The recipient had previously had an amputation to stop the spread of his penile cancer. This is so exciting, Karina. On so many levels. Yes, because when you think about it, we have had such a hard time with building not even a better penis— just a penis. So up until now, this has not really been possible. No, this is only the third penis transplant ever in the history of the world. So think about the implications. I My head immediately goes to trans men right. who have not been able to get penises really, or the ones they do get are very crude, don't really function. Maybe there isn't a ton of um, sensation. If, if you could get a penis transplant, that's going to revolutionize uh, life for trans men. Okay, so I will say that's super exciting, but we are a ways away from that just because of blood flow and a bunch of other issues with that. But they said the top two use cases are for people who have had amputations because of penile cancer. And actually, something I didn't realize was that members of the armed services experience serious pelvic injury quite frequently that either debilitates their ability to use their penis or is a cause for amputation. Yeah, this is going to revolutionize a lot of people's lives. And I want to go on the record right now and say that I am totally willing to donate my penis. I 100% think you should. What I mean when I'm done with it. Right. Right now I'm fairly attached to it. Send it to a good home. Yeah. Yeah. I have a pretty penis. Keep on keeping on. Exactly. Let's just keep him moving on. (laughs) On to the next story that caught our eye. Oh, yeah, Karina, there's going to be a Bluetooth tampon. Are you ready for this? I don't know. There's a new startup called MyFlow, and it wants to create the first Bluetooth tampon because, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) For those who are curious, it's a tampon that has an extra long string that connects to your waist, and then somehow at the end of that string is a Bluetooth module. The Bluetooth device connects to an app on your smartphone that keeps you updated as to how saturated your tampon is so you know exactly when to change it. Are you going to use it, Karina? No. So you say that now. But I think there were a lot of things 20 years ago we said we would never use either. Right. Maybe in 2037, people are going to be using Bluetooth tampons. Okay, this is super judgy, but I just have to say it. I feel like I know my body pretty well. I don't feel like I need an app to tell me that my tampon's full. Like that, it just, it seems a little insane to me. It's one of those, and the other thing that scares me about it is, okay, so apparently it's a six to 12 inch string that goes from the tampon so that it can 
go up to your waist and hook onto the Bluetooth device. And I'm just sensing some serious dangerous potential with that. Like, I, like snaking around my leg and like, <laughs> I, like bursting forth at all the wrong <laughs> moments. Like, I just, I have no say in this as I do not have any of the parts that would be needed to use this Correct. tampon. But I will agree with you. It sounds totally weird and potentially hazardous in so many ways. Yep. All right. So one in 10 people check their phone during sex, according to a new study out of the University of British Columbia. Does that surprise you? No. I thought it would be higher. Me too. Have you ever checked your phone during sex? I, no. But here's my question. What is What does sex mean? Because they didn't really define it. Like, right. are, are we talking about during actual penetration or are we talking about during foreplay, like you know an what? act of sex It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're if, right. If you're getting a blowjob or you're giving a blowjob or you're— Doing any kind of intimate act with someone, your phone, I get angry if I'm at dinner with someone and they pull out their phone. Oh, so you've been angry at me before. Well, probably, yeah. actually, <laughs> now that we talk about it. I just think there's so little time that we have to spend with people, at least with me. I'm right. so busy. And so if I'm going to spend an hour with you or however amount of time and either, you know, your penis is going to be inside of me or we're just watching the Bachelorette or whatever, mm-hmm. you can concentrate on me for that amount of time. Okay, but what if what if you were like expecting a really important call? What if someone said nope. to you, "Here's you might get your dream job. There's going to be an interview. It's 24 hour period. Would you just be like, I'm not going to have sex for 24 hours, even though you found someone really attractive to have sex with, or would you have sex and risk maybe having to check your? Phone? I would jerk off and then I would have sex with that person once I got the so job. Do you to check celebrate. your phone while you're jerking off? No. <laughs> This is dumb. Stop having sex and checking your phone. We're moving on. Okay. Now, so this could be absolutely terrifying depending on how you feel about this, Karina. Could self-driving cars spice up your sex life? So there was an article in the Toronto Sun, and they were saying that once computers start doing the driving for us, there's going to be a lot more sex in cars. Terrifying is the answer to your earlier question. Wait, why is that terrifying? Because at least from my knowledge at this point, it could be dangerous because self-driving cars in the iterations that we are going to see, mm-hmm. at least you know in the next 10 or 20 years, are going to need to go back into manual mode in certain situations. Right. So it's not like you're in a little train pod or something <laughs> right, like right. that. Like it's gonna need, you're going to need to be paying attention. Okay, but what about best case scenario where like we get to a point where we are in a little pod and it's just taking care of everything and you're like, I know I have three hours until I get to Kansas and we got to do something for three hours. I don't see why not. No, I don't see why not at that point either. I also think it's going to be interesting because they're totally going to have to redesign cars at that point if right. you don't have to drive them. And so then will it just be like a mattress for like hanging out like I don't know are we going back to like the 70s like VW van fun time or something with the bed in the back exactly and you think about there would have to be the windows would have to be darkened there's just so many things that we would have to right otherwise you'd be like exposing yourself to other people and what would the laws be around that that could be fun too though so tricky (laughs) (laughs) maybe for you yeah okay so you might have thought that they had come up with literally every reality show that could ever, 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 ever be made. But some TV executives have proven us wrong. There's a new web series premiering this month entitled The Sex Factor, which, you guessed it, will search for America's next top porn star. I think this is brilliant, and I would watch this. 
I am very surprised that somebody hasn't done it already. Me too. I was actually shocked. So they get a million dollars if they win and quote unquote instant porn stardom. Yeah. Um, and also, I think it's not any professionals. I think that you have to be not even an amateur. I think you have to be sort of like a quote unquote regular person to do this. Right. Which is really interesting. And then they're going to have different challenges every week that are all sex themed. I want to know if it's going to be like The Bachelor. Like, do you have sex in like a remote hut in Thailand? Right. Or is it like different? Is it like thematic? And can you have sex when you're not competing? Or is it like, you know what I mean? So like they'll have these challenges. But what if you're just hanging out at the house? Could you be having sex with people? Like practicing. I mean, why not? I'm ready for it. So it's going to be online, like you said. And there's going to be triple X exclusive content that you can watch. I, we'll see. So they maybe, have one person who's going to be listening in. Yeah, I'm no already one's there. Ready. <laughs> and maybe we can get the winner on the show. Oh, that would be great. Once it happens. Hey, winner, if you're listening, or future winner, if you're listening, we want to, we want to, to talk you to you. Already, yeah. Now we're going to take a quick pause, but stick around. In a minute, we're going to share an interview I did with Shakina Nafak. She's an activist, an actress, And she's heading to North Carolina to piss in all the wrong bathrooms. And we're going to answer some more listener questions. You're not going to want to miss it. Before we jump back into the show, have you found Love and Sex on iTunes? iTunes is one of the best places for people to discover our podcast. So please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and give us a review to let us know what you think. Each time we get our new reviewer rating, our podcast climbs the rankings, which helps other people discover our show and spread sex positivity throughout the land. And if you've already found us on iTunes, tell a friend to give us a review, too. Okay, now back to the show. Next up, we want to share an interview that I did with Shakina Nafak. She's a trans actress and performance artist. She's going to bring her show Manifest Pussy to North Carolina. And while she's there, she's promised to piss in all the wrong bathrooms as a protest against the state's absolutely ridiculous new law that prohibits trans people from using the restroom that corresponds with their gender identity. I chatted with Shakina about her mission, why our culture is having such a crazy freakout moment about trans people, and more. So to start, give me like a 30-second version of how you define your gender identity and how you came to live as your authentic self. Wow. Why give it to you in 30 seconds when I can make you come see the show? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but give I'll us do a it teaser. Quick, a teaser. Yeah. All right. So, uh... I, uh, I spent uh, a great amount of years living as a gay dude, mm-hmm. um, but never really f- identifying with it. Um, when I discovered what trans was when I was like 18, I came out as trans, but then after surviving some assault, I kind of retreated back into into sort of a gay male persona, but it was all like an act and all my friends knew it, but I was just sort of like a lady in waiting. Mm. And then, uh, and I used to tell people I was an M to F to M for a while. I love that. And then uh, on uh, July 4th, 2012, I was like, I'm going to begin this transition. And why was it July? That seems so, you know, symbolic. July 4th, right? Independence Day. It's Independence Day. I was going to uh, go to a 4th of July party and I just wanted to wear a sundress. And I couldn't find anyone. I had these like clippers and I was like, I just need someone to help me like trim my back hair. And I couldn't <laughs> find anyone. And I like sat down on my bed holding the sundress and holding these clippers and started crying. And I was like, I cannot live like this. Like it, it was suddenly, it was like that was the last moment when uh, when I just realized it. 
something had to change. Yeah. So you are heading to North Carolina, which is everyone's talking about right now because of HB2, which in case people don't know, is this bill that was passed that it does a lot of things that are shitty for queer people. But among them, if you are transgender, it prohibits you from using the restroom um, that corresponds with your gender identity. So you're going to go to North Carolina and you've decided that you are going to pee in the men's room where, you know, normally you wouldn't go because you're a woman, Mm -hmm. but because of this law, you have to. How did you get the idea to do this? Well, I've always sort of been like a independent civil disobedient social activist like since my since my childhood. Right. So uh so as soon as the law was passed, my first thought was I just want to go piss in all the wrong restrooms. It's so dumb. It's such a dumb, dumb <laughs> law. Also, my birth certificate still says male. I didn't change it because I didn't feel the need to because I was indeed born with a penis. I don't mind telling people that. Mm-hmm. Um so that's where I got the idea. Uh, first it was just a joke. And then I thought, well I'm working on this new show what if I could put together a North Carolina tour? And I mentioned something on Facebook about the idea, and a couple of people were like, oh, I would crowdfund that because I also crowdfunded my gender confirmation surgery. So right. people are accustomed to me asking for money for trans-related <laughs> issues. And, uh, yeah, and then and then it – I mean, it was like just a month ago that I announced that I was going to try and do this. Right. And it, and it took off. So break down exactly where you're going to go. Do you have certain places you definitely want to target? Or, you know, how, how will the tour work? So we have a few cities that we're trying to get to um, and a few cities that are booked already. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you now some of the confirmed places. We're going to be in Asheville. We're going to be in Charlotte. We're going to be in Greensboro. We're waiting on a venue in Chapel Hill. We're going to um, Durham. We're hopefully going to go to Fayetteville. And we're going to Raleigh. Um, and we're also looking for a venue in Winston-Salem. Okay, cool. So it's a seven-city, ten-day tour is the goal. And I heard that you are going to try to pee in— the governor's office. Well, not in his office. I mean, that would be a dream. <laughs> like on his desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just right there, <laughs> like the secretary. Um, uh, no, I think that uh, I'm, I plan to visit the Capitol, mm-hmm. and if we can fit it in, a tour of the governor's mansion, I'll just excuse myself. So, um, yeah, that would be great. I love that. It, there, I don't know if you know Mara Kiesling. She is the head of the National Center for Trans Equality, and she was actually in North Carolina, and she went and used the restroom in the Capitol in his, you know, in his, where his mm-hmm. office is. And she's like, "I went, I did my thing, I left. No one knew what's the big deal." And I was like, "That that's really poignant in a lot of ways because it just points out how totally ridiculous this is." Right. So she used the ladies' room. Yeah. So she could have been arrested. A hundred percent. Cool. Yeah, but no one knew. No one knew. Well, of course, no one's going to know. Right. No, it's far more obvious and uncomfortable making if. If uh, there's, like, someone standing out like I will in the men's room. Someone who presents as female is suddenly in the men's room. Someone with a vagina in the men's room. Yep, exactly. Well, I mean, I think it just goes back to this idea, too, about, like, how we think about gender and sex and sexuality. In 2016, I have to point out. You know what I mean? It's not like this is 1850. Yeah. We're supposed to have kind of evolved. So I just wonder what your thoughts are about the way society thinks about trans people, but just about gender in— in general. Well, you know, I, I want to correct myself for the thing I just said because realizing that speaking from my experience as a trans woman, going into a men's room with a vagina is like right. an awkward, counterintuitive thing. But a lot of trans men who haven't had or not interested in bottom surgery are trying to get into men's restrooms. And right. um, so I think I think as we talk about, you know, sex and gender and the evolution of cultural understanding around trans identities— um, there's definitely there's definitely an obsession with the body, mm-hmm. and um, 
And it's something that I wholeheartedly embrace in my artwork because I think a lot of that obsession comes from a lack of understanding. And so there's this like taboo curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I just prefer to demystify all that. So I, I talk really openly about my physical transformation. A lot of people aren't comfortable with that. And, and that's great. Not everyone should have to broadcast their personal business. But I'm a performance artist. So I'm I'm fine dealing with my personal issues in a public forum. And it's so interesting, too, because I think as we saw with, you know, the gay rights movement, that's really what helped change or, or turn the page is that once people could ask questions, had visible representations of what it meant to be gay, they all of a sudden said, oh, maybe that's not so weird, or at least I do know someone who's gay now. That's the thing about like someone like Caitlyn Jenner. I know I know a lot of people think she isn't a great role model, and I have my issues with her politics, and you know, I think she's really problematic in a lot of ways, but at least almost everyone in the world or in the world who has a TV knows who she is, and, and they can say, I know a trans person, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Absolutely. And I think there's probably a lot of people who know trans folk who don't realize they know trans 100%, folk. percent, yeah. And that's one difference between, I think, the transgender movement and the the old-school gay rights movement yeah. of the Harvey Milk days, which was, was all about coming out, yep. um, which was so important for political visibility. And and I'm a huge advocate for trans visibility, but also there are there's a huge percentage of trans people who— who, for whom visibility is not a goal and not mm-hmm. an objective. Yeah. And it's their it's their right to, to live the life that they want to live, you know, quote-unquote stealth or whatever, without being objectified as simply a trans person. Totally. I mean, also so many trans people, they don't want to be trans. They want to transition from whatever gender they started as to whatever gender they see themselves as, and they want to live that way. So if they were, you know, identified male as birth, but but they identify as a female, they just want to be a woman. They don't want to be a trans woman. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that is probably the most widely understood definition of a trans identity. But for me personally, I think of trans as beyond, not mm-hmm. between. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, a much broader spectrum for of people, you know, people have asked me, like, why do you identify as a trans woman and not a woman? And I yeah. think, well, a woman is an entirely different experience. You know, I wasn't enculturated that way. So I'm factoring in my my life as a boy with my adult life as a as a woman or a trans woman. Um, and there's so many other, I mean, there are more words than I know now yeah. for a number of gender identities that people are coming forward with, yep. uh, which I think, you know, fit under the, the category of, of trans or gender nonconforming. And that seems to me like the next wave, actually. Like now that a lot of people understand what it means to be transgender from a binary point of view, mm-hmm. from a male to a female. I think next it's like trying to get people to understand what it means to be non-binary or genderqueer or a gender fucker or all these things that don't fit into neat little boxes. But at the same time, it's like, but that's okay. My whole thing is like, you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want, identify however you want to identify, as long as you're not hurting anyone else or yourself Unless someone else wants to be hurt. You know what I mean? We can right. get into BDSM too. But yeah. like, I just think we should be able to do whatever we want because it doesn't, what you do doesn't affect me. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, uh, but so many people seem to feel that it does. Yeah. And I think that's the crux of what's going on in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And that's what we sort of have to prove. And like with you going down there and other people really speaking out, it, it's starting to point out just how ridiculous it is. How ridiculous, how backwards, and how outdated. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, in another interview recently, said something to the effect of, like, this is not World War II or apartheid. I shouldn't have to carry my papers to, like, enter a public place. And they still don't even understand how to enforce these laws. Right. They're not looking at papers. They're not looking at genitals because that is crazy. 
But that's basically what they are implying should be happening. Right. It's, yeah, and, and, and they're also uh, apparently allowing children at school to carry pepper spray to protect themselves in their restrooms. Right, I just read about that. Which, and the thing that really I haven't wrapped my mind around yet yeah. is the way that this fear-based hate-mongering campaign is attempting to paint um, trans people as sexual predators. Yes. And I just I just don't get where that is coming from. I don't get the satisfaction that they must find in in creating that ideology. Right, exactly. I did we should note that they did the man who wanted to allow pepper spray in oh. students, he he revoked that oh, after great. there was a huge outrage. Good. But he did say that and they were considering it. You know, so it's crazy, but I think you're right. The way that they've married the identity of a trans person with a predator, whether mm-hmm. a rapist or a molester or whatever. I don't know where that came from, and I wish that more people would speak out about that. Well, I think it has a lot to do with the way that folks who transgress the gender binary have been portrayed in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, yep. throughout the years. I mean, we're, we're killers and we're rapists yes. or we're raped and killed. Exactly. That, those are sort of the options that have been available to us up until, I don't know, the, the role that I'm playing on difficult people. Mm-hmm. You know, finally, someone who's not— getting raped or killed or raping or killing. Right. So you're going to be on The uh, Difficult People. Mm -hmm. When does that premiere? That premieres July 12th. That's so exciting. And and I think we still have a long way to go, though, in terms of trans representation that's happy and healthy in Hollywood. Totally. But But Hulu's a start. (laughs) Exactly. It is a start. And I think that's where we're seeing it is like Mm -hmm. Hulu and and places like that, Amazon with, you know, transparent. So that's exciting. Lastly, what do you want people to take away from this tour that you're going on? For the average person who just is hearing about you from this podcast or has read about you, what would you want them to take away from what you're doing? I mean, on on the most basic level, I would hope that people see what I'm doing and realize that it's completely within their power to stand up in the face of injustice and to affect political change through changing the hearts and minds of the people they can reach. We cannot wait to see what happens when Shekinah gets to North Carolina. For more from her and to find out how you can help her get to North Carolina, visit her website at shekinah.nyc. Now, we're going to dive into a couple questions from our listeners. So this question is, when is a good age to be sex positive or sex forward? I'm 14 and I'm very open about talking about it, but all of my friends and family don't ever talk about it. What should I do? Should I stop being sex positive or is it good to have a serious conversation about sex? I think all ages are good to be sex positive. There's no age too young to be sex positive because being sex positive just means that you believe people should pursue the pleasure that they want so long as it doesn't harm themselves or anyone else. But that's a very radical stance to take, I think. It shouldn't be. But I think if we talk about like people don't like to think of children having sexuality, even young teens, you know what I mean? And so I feel like I understand where this listener is coming from. I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, in the best case scenario, our society would really value sex, value pleasure. We don't. Right. So it's sort of an uphill battle. Look, it's, it's hard when you're 14. It's yeah. hard regardless when you're 14. Yeah. And I think it makes sense that a lot of friends and family aren't talking about it around you. But if it's something that you feel passionate about and there are conversations that you want to have— 
I would say have the conversations mm-hmm. and and find find communities where you can have the conversations because I guarantee you, even if they aren't your immediate friends or family, there are people around you, whether it's online or wherever else, that do want to talk and be open. Yeah. I think we should also note, too, that there's a difference between being sex positive and just being sexual. And right. I think that— there could be some pressure to have sex when you're that age, um, especially from people who maybe are older. And so, uh, you know, be smart, respect yourself, respect each other, and find older people that you can trust and can talk to. Maybe it's your health teacher, you know, and I think there are people out there who do want to teach you what it means to be respectful about sex. So complicated, but not impossible. Love it. Next up, what are your thoughts on cheating? I recently hooked up with someone after a very drunken night. It was a one-time thing, but I am racked with guilt. Should I tell my boyfriend? So here's what I think, and this might be kind of controversial, but I think if it was truly a one-night thing and you really didn't mean it, don't tell him. Because at least in my head, if I was dating someone and they did that, I wouldn't want to know. If it really was a one-time thing, it's not someone in our friend circle— you aren't lashing out because you're unhappy with our relationship. It just was a drunken, stupid attraction. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Okay, but a couple of things. Okay. You have to be very honest with yourself about why you did it mm-hmm. and whether or not it was truly one-night thing. Yep. Um, and you also have to think about if it was a drunken one-night stand, did you use protection? It's very true. Because if you didn't— yep. And you then proceed to have sex with your significant other, you're an asshole. Like, I know we're sex positive here, but you're an ass. You know, like, you need that—you need to protect your partner. That's important. That matters. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think there are two scenarios here because it's a small world out there. And it is always better for your partner to find this out from you on your terms in a safe space than it is for them to find out— from someone else, you know, on social media or their friend's, you know, friend or their sister who heard about it. So it it really depends on the circumstances. Yeah, I was thinking of, you know, you're on a work trip, you're at the Embassy Suites in Akron, Ohio, and no one's going to ever know. Right. But you're absolutely right. I think that it's really hard in this day and age for people not to find out about things. And honesty is really important. Mm -hmm. But I still stand by, I wouldn't want to know if it was just a one-time thing. Yeah. Don't throw away everything we have. I mean, don't throw everything away that we have by doing this. Right. But then on top of it, oof. Sounds like you got some soul searching to do. Yeah. Good luck. That's it for this week's episode of the Huff Post Love and Sex Podcast. Special thanks to our guests, Shakina Nafak, and to our editor and producer, Nick Offenberg. And a big thanks to you guys for listening. If you get a chance, please subscribe to Love and Sex on iTunes and reach out if you have a story for us or a question. Our email is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com. We'll be back with a new episode in just two weeks. Talk to you guys then. Bye. Bye.